0: To the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. The flood came, destroyed them all, and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who was on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who was in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you in that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Join me as I pray, please. Father God, I thank you for this day, I thank you for uh, the beauty of fellowship, and I thank you for your amazing word, I pray that it would uh, soak in, that our, our hearts would be fertile, that our ears would be open, Lord, that you would anoint Jackie uh, to rightly divide your word, that it, would, that it would go out and do what it is put forth to do, Lord, that it would cause a, a faith in us like children, Lord, that we would not care, we would be bold, and we would seek after you. So I just pray that... Uh, You would have a word for each and every person here, Lord, that you would touch every heart this morning, that uh, we would leave this place being different than we walked in. I just pray for your kingdom. I pray for your will. I thank you for your blessings and provision. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Well, as we uh, take a look at Luke chapter 17 in this... uh, Well, at least somewhat familiar passage talking about uh, the coming kingdom. There's some challenges, I think, that, that we need to consider. Whenever we study the Bible, it's always a problem if the first thought you have is, Oh, I know what that means, because I heard this, or I heard that, or I was taught this, or I was taught that. One of the challenges when we come to study the Word of God is to allow the Word of God to tell us what's being said. To allow the Word of God to to speak, right? Because Scripture tells us that the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Truth or lie? So if that's truth, the Word of God is living and powerful. Has something to say to me, I, I should probably learn to be quiet and listen before I speak. And it's important, you know, it's, it kind of ties across our normal relationships, right? You ever try to have a conversation with somebody who cuts you off? And you're, you weren't quite finished? Right? Do we like that? So pretty much across the board, can, can we agree nobody likes to be cut off? So if nobody likes to be cut off, maybe we should stop cutting each other off. What do you think? And just, <coughs> just be listened. Just be listeners, hear. And before you are pretty sure you know what's being said or what they mean, ask that question. What do you mean by that? Right? Then we can have clarity. When we come to the Word of God, those are the same questions we need to be asking. Who, what, where, when? Right? What's, what's happening? And and I know in our world we like microwaves, Right? We want microwave theology. We want microwave faith. We just want to put it in. Give me thirty seconds. Turn up the dial. Well, you know that doesn't work. Cover Chapel Buell, right? Sorry, if you guys are visitors here, I I go over all the time. So better cancel lunch, or or you can get up. I'm used to that too. <clears throat> so, but when we come to the to the Word of God, we need to recognize that that the old adage is true. What you will put into it in time to understand is what you get back right this is not the certainly this is not the newspaper so when we come to the newspaper we're asking the newspaper to tell us what to believe right <laughs> well that's how it is now or if we go to the news we want the news to tell us what to believe and some of us are frustrated that we can't just get what's what give me the data and 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 let me use the framework of my worldview to understand the data. Well, that's what we want to do when we come to the Word of God. And and so one of the tricky things, we've talked about this before, we come to Scripture that we've heard before, or we've heard people teach about, and we've already made a conclusion before we paid attention. And that's always going to be a problem. And this is the exact problem the Pharisees had. So we, we haven't lost our context. Don't lose the context. Jesus, for the last several chapters, has been talking about an upside-down kingdom. Just think about it. We've been talking about an upside-down kingdom, where the rejects are in, where the people who think they're in are out, where the poor are rich, where the rich are poor, where the wise are fools, where the fools are wise. Wow, this seems like an upside-down world, doesn't it? These concepts, and the Pharisees have been struggling with it all along. The Pharisees have been saying, what are you talking about? Because they were pretty sure they had their mind all made up about how this is all supposed to work. And if you look at the scripture when we begin this morning, the question is asked by whom? Being asked by the Pharisees. So the Pharisees are asking a question. They're asking a question that they believe they already have an answer to. So you've been talking about an upside down kingdom where the meek inherit the earth. You, you've been talking about an upside-down kingdom where, where God saves sinners. You've been talking about an upside-down kingdom that, that seems like it's kind of confusing. So when is this happening? When is this kingdom happening? Now, one of the things that I want you to understand is that Jesus teaches a concept. Whenever we talk about eschatology, study of end things, whenever we talk about how the end looks, Jesus teaches a concept, and you see it, in scripture all the time, but very few people want to talk about it, and that is this: already and not yet. He's going to say the kingdom is already here. And then he's going to say the kingdom's not yet here. And we're going to say, "What? How can it be both of those things?" Because we're seeing the kingdom begin to break forth. What were the Pharisees upset about? You guys remember? All the sinners, all the tax collectors, all the 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 Outcasts were coming to Jesus, and they're saying, Lord, you, you could have us. Why do you want them? Jesus said, I'm a, I'm a I'm a I'm a doctor. I'm coming for the sick. And the point is that everybody was sick, but the Pharisees can't understand they're sick, so they don't think they need a doctor. So they're saying to him, when, when is all this happening? Well, reality is it's happening right in front of you. Don't you see? Look at their lives changing. Look at, what, look at what God is doing, how God is doing the miraculous. Not just leaving people as outcasts, but bringing them in. Not just leaving people sick, but bringing healing. Not just leaving people out, but providing what is necessary so that they can come in. <laughs> so Jesus is telling them, it's here, it's now. But there's a point when the kingdom is fully realized. When the kingdom is fully realized, Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne as king. Now, when the kingdom of God is fully realized in my life is when Jesus is sitting on the throne in my life. Amen? When the kingdom of God is fully realized in the world is when Jesus sits on the throne and rules the world. The Bible talks about those things. The Bible talks about Jesus ruling with a rod of iron, right? We've talked about that before. What does that mean? When I was a kid, I used to think it meant he had a rod. And anybody got out of whack, he's gonna, he's gonna hit him with it. He's gonna right. But the idea of the rod is the rod is the measure. Yet yeah, God is perfect. And his measuring of of the requirement is perfect. We today, do we have justice? We don't got justice, do we? You guys know as well as I do, if you got more money you get more justice or less depending on what you need. Right? If you don't got no money then the chances are you might not get any justice. The world is out of whack in how but but his rule is a rod of iron it means wrong is wrong all the time and it's never right. It means right is right all the time and it's never wrong. And it's iron it doesn't bend it doesn't twist it doesn't turn it doesn't change it is consistent so when jesus christ rules perfect perfect justice he he says in isaiah i'm not going to judge he doesn't judge us by his eyes and he doesn't judge us by his ears because you can make yourself look like anything and you can say anything you want to do right so don't you wish every time somebody spoke like jason joked this morning that a beeper would go off if there was a lie. Beep, 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 beep. Oh, you're not being truthful right now. But it's not. <laughs> so we don't know, right? We don't always know. But but you know you can't lie to Jesus? So His kingdom is perfect. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 11, it's described like this. A place where the wolf will lie down with the lamb. We usually say it different, right? The lion, Yeah, that's how tradition... Breaks in and messes things up. So the so wolf <laughs> lies down with... The lion eats straw like an ox. The point is that nature is going to totally change. That there, there's going to be a total change. And our, right now, our nature is constantly rebellious. And, and to go against the grain and to fight and all these things. That's part of our nature. But it says when Jesus comes and rules, nature's going to change. My nature will change. That means the wolf in me will lay down. That means the lion in me that wants to devour, it's going to eat straw. We're not going to do harm. We're not going to study war. We're not going to do all those things. It says a child can play by a cobra's den. uh, uh, And we we won't be afraid. Why? Because, Because his reign is perfect. All the things that we look at our world today and we say our world is out of whack. When Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning as king, when he is... (laughs) <laughs> the authority to whom all mankind bows the knee, then everything is going to be, all wrong will be right. Now, is it that way now? No. We got wrong everywhere, don't we? And we struggle with it. We look at wrong and we say, how can that wrong be okay? And we say, God's good, but look at that wrong. Well, he's not ruling and reigning. And the only thing I can do to make today better is to say, I want him to rule and reign in me. Now, I can't make you make him your king. But I can say he's my king, and I want to respond his way. That's how his kingdom is already, but not yet. Does it make sense? It's, it's here in me, but one day I'm going to realize it out here. Okay? I can realize it now in me. But one day I'll be able to put my hand on it. I'll be able to see it with my eye. I'll be able to see him sitting on the throne, ruling in righteousness. So Jesus is asked a question by the Pharisees. When will this kingdom come? When is this going to happen? And he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. He's going to give two negatives and a positive. Two negatives and a positive. He's going to follow that pattern all the way through. And when you look at this, the first negative, look at the first negative. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. What's he saying? It's not going to be some slow roll. It's not some slow change that we're going to watch until we finally get our politics together or we get our act together and, and the world changes. No, you're not going to be able to watch it come. It's going to be there. Bang. The kingdom of God is not something you can watch. It's not something that we need to be sitting around and looking for signs. And I know that's going to offend the prophetic uh, community. Don't be offended. Don't be offended. There are no signs left for you to look for. Okay, all the signs that we're given—they're fulfilled. There's nothing to look for. The, everything else is—is is what we wonder in our minds about how it, how is it going to happen, and we spend a lot of time doing that. We. Buy a lot of books about that, but the Bible doesn't tell us. Does the Bible tell us when Jesus is coming back? No. Every prophetic book on earth is sold like this. But it says you can recognize the seasons and the times. Yeah. Do we need Jesus to come back? You just recognize the seasons and the times. There's no no miraculous thing. We say, well, the temple's got to be rebuilt. Well, I think it does, but I don't. Should I waste my time looking for that, or did Jesus give me a job to do? Do I have a role now, or is my role to be watching and looking for signs? Is that what he said? He said, I'm leaving, you guys watch for signs. What did he say? When he was leaving, he said, Go everywhere and do what? Make disciples of who? Everybody! So we got a job? The kingdom of God is already. It's not yet, but my job is not to look. My job is to live. My job is to be right now. To be who Jesus Christ has called me to be. The first negative is not going to come in ways that you can see it. Second negative, nor can you say, look, here it is, or there. Don't say, look, here it is, look, there it is, look, this is how, look, that's the way. The church has been fighting for 2,000 years about what this looks like. Is that really shocking? I hear people all the time shocked at behavior in the church. All you have to do is look at the world. The behavior in the world is the same way. What's the common denominator? We're people. Let me, let me tell you a story. I've had lots of dogs in my life. What about you guys? Yeah? You know what? They all bark. And we create all kinds of things to stop them from barking, right? Yeah, does it work? Well, you take that collar off, I promise you, the first thing that dog's going to do is bark its head off. It's been been keeping it all bottled up. It's trying to figure out who keeps shocking him every time he barks, right? (laughs) But as soon as that comes off, he barks. Why does he bark? He's a dog. He's a dog. Why do we struggle? Because we're people, what's wrong with us? We're fallen, we're corrupt, we're rebellious. How many of us? All of us. All of us. Now, how do those three things come under control? When I allow Jesus Christ to be my king. When he's my king in my life. Now I can't control everything out there, right? What can I control? Me. So is he the answer for my fallenness? Yes, is he the answer for my corruption? Yes, is he the answer for my rebellion? Yes. Yeah, so when, he, when his kingdom is in me, I'm different, huh? I'm different. So, I know a lot of people like to take pot shots at the church. I don't do that. <clears throat> you want the church to be better? Fix you. Let Jesus be your king. If enough of us do that, you know what happens? transformation of the whole kit and caboodle. Now what happens if this whole church does it and then another whole church does it? Well, things keep changing, right? Will we have unity? What if they think different about the kingdom than I think? What what if they think, what what if they believe in this and I believe in that? Well, who's the final arbiter? Yeah, Jesus, the Bible. So we're going to come to the Bible, hey, and we're going to be unified under Jesus Christ because we have the same King. Same king. What is he doing to me? He's fixing my fallenness. What is he doing to me? He's fixing my corruption. What is he doing to me? He's fixing my rebellion. He is in me, making me better. I have bowed the knee to him. That's what salvation is all about, right? I bow the knee. Lord, you rule in me. You rule in me. I need God to do the work. I need God to accomplish. Two negative things. It's not going to be here, not going to be there. Don't, it's, it's, it's not going to come where you can see it. It's not localized. People think the kingdom of God is localized. We think the kingdom of God is Israel. Let me, I, I'm going to burst your bubble. The kingdom of God is not Israel. The kingdom of God is cosmological. The kingdom of God is bigger than that. The kingdom of God is utter rule everywhere. Daniel had a vision. You guys remember Daniel? He saw all the kingdoms of men as different types of metal. Head of gold, chest of silver, right? Each one getting less and less. But the one thing that they all had in common, one led to another, led to another, led to another. Any of them permanent? None of them were permanent. What have we learned in history? Are kingdoms of men permanent? Yeah, we're we're kind of watching our, our own nation degrade, aren't we? I mean, we can see it all the time on the news, where we were, where we are. We're, we're moving in a direction we don't want to move in. There's a degrading. The Bible says all kingdoms of men do that. Then at the end of this dream, what happens? A rock in the heavens, not cut out with hands. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the chief of the corner, the cornerstone. A rock from heavens hits The statue and the feet, and it blows up into powder and disappears. All the kingdoms of men are going where? Away. And what happens to this one? It grows. That rock grows and grows, becomes a mountain. That mountain grows and grows and fills the whole earth. What is that? The kingdom of God is bigger than Israel, guys. It's the whole earth. It's the whole universe. It's the whole cosmos. It's all His. The kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. It's big. It's not just this little speck or that little speck. It's not just me. It's not just you. (laughs) It's all inclusive. It's everywhere. Then look what Jesus says next. The positive statement. For behold, the kingdom of God is where? Where is it? It's in the midst of you. What have we been talking about? Is Jesus king inside of you? Jesus is standing right there with the Pharisees. People are being healed, right? We've been been studying about it. People are being healed. God is doing incredible things. He's showing them, illustratively, that He's the answer for their brokenness. He's showing them, illustratively, that that He's the one that can heal their fallenness, their corruption, their rebellion, as He heals and touches the leper, as He heals and touches the sick, the crippled, the lame, the maimed. All of these things that that Jesus is doing is his proclamation that the kingdom is here. But for the kingdom of God to to take root, it starts inside me. It's in the midst of you. A guy came to Jesus. (coughs) His name's Nicodemus. Nicodemus, hard for some people to say. So we call him Nick at night. Nick came to jesus at night and he asked him questions right he wanted to ask him questions what he asked him how does this all work jesus said something to him unless a man is born again he will never see the kingdom of god what But didn't Nicodemus say, what are you talking about? How's a man born again? Can I climb back into my mother's womb? And Jesus said, no, I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about spiritual. Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. The Pharisees are asking, when is the kingdom coming? Jesus says, you're not going to be able to see it. And you can't say, there it is, there it is, there it is. Because it's here now in you. And it will come and be everywhere. But if it's not here in you, you will never see it. You won't see it. Because the kingdom of God needs to start its rulership inside of my life. My submission to Jesus Christ. The Pharisees won't submit, but what about about the sinner? When the Pharisees are upset, is the sinner submitting to Jesus? What about the leper who came and fell down on his knees before the Lord and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Is he willing to submit to Jesus? What about what about the, the prostitute who comes to Jesus and weeps over his feet and washes his feet with her tears and all the guys are watching and they're saying, oh, man, I can't even, ble- why would you even let her touch you? They're thinking that. Jesus looks at him and says, something wrong with the way you guys are thinking. The reason this woman is in this state of submission, the reason this woman is in this state of love is because she's been forgiven much. And those who are forgiven much do what? Love much. So if you're having a hard time loving God, responding to God in loving ways, maybe the question is, you don't think you have anything to be forgiven of? Or you don't think God has forgiven you? Because those who love much have been forgiven forgiven much. Look, I know what a dirtbag I was. Some of you guys heard my story. I should not they know I shouldn't be alive. Kathy shouldn't be alive. Our kids shouldn't be alive. Should have killed us all. But God in his in, who is rich in mercy, he saved me. He saved us. He restored everything that that I lost. I know God does didn't owe me any of that. But because he did it, I don't have a hard time bowing my knee to him at all. He he can have it. There was not a lot of people waiting in line saying, Hey man, I I want Jackie on my team. Nobody was saying that. But Jesus. And that's a great place to be. That's a great place to be. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Literally, you could say the kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of God is... In your heart. Those are all possible translations. Jesus is here. Now, he's not saying to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God's in your heart. What's he saying to him? It's right here. All of these who are coming are receiving it. (laughs) The invitation's still out, right? The invitation is still out to those who would hear, to those who would receive. Now, this is not an uncommon question. Jesus receives this question. Luke writes about another question in Acts chapter 1 verse 6. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, this is the disciples this time, Lord, now will you restore your kingdom? Because they still got a wrong idea. They still think it's all about Israel. They still think it's about, it's about God coming and ruling and reigning in Israel, Israel being elevated above everybody else. Woohoo, here we go. God's kingdom's bigger than that. Lord, will you restore your kingdom now? And and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority. So what did he tell his own disciples? Don't worry about it. You got a job to do. Just know, here's enough to know. I'm coming back. Now you got a job to do. This is what he's laying out for his disciples. This is what he's telling them. This is what he wants them (coughs) to glean and understand. Now the Pharisees asked the first question, but look in verse 22. And he said to whom? He said to the disciples. Verse 22, and he said to the disciples. So the Pharisees start the question. It's not ways you can see it. They're going to say here, there, and everywhere. But it's not any of those places. It's starting right here in you. Starting right here with me here's the beginning here's the already but here comes the not yet verse 22 he said to the disciples the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the son of man and you will not see it now he's talking to the disciples he's looking at those guys who have surrendered all right those guys who have who have left all to follow him and and they're going to be empowered and they're going to become even greater men following him than they are right now but he's going to say he's got a, he's got something that they want them to understand he wants them to recognize that the kingdom of god is coming through suffering the kingdom of god comes through suffering is that is that shocking to us Where's Jesus about to go? To the cross, right? Well, what is that if it's not suffering? Didn't Jesus say there was a cost to be his disciple? To, if you come and follow me, right? There's a, there's a price. It's, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. Then later on in Luke, he says, he says this to him. Take up your cross and follow me. So, so that would imply, at least to me, that we're all going, right, to, to, to and through a place of suffering. Anybody ever suffered? Anybody suffering right now? The kingdom of God He's saying, you're going to desire to see it. Why, why do we want to see it? Look, I, every morning I wake up and I say, come Lord Jesus, right now, so I don't have to figure out how to pay these bills no more. Come, Lord Jesus, right now, so I can be done with all this fighting. I can be done with all this suffering, all these things. But Jesus is telling his disciples that's wrong-headed. It's wrong-headed to say, I want Jesus to come back so he can deliver me from hardship and suffering. I just want Jesus to come back, period. Period. I want to I want to put my eyes on him. I want to recognize and see and know the prize. He's saying the disciples. Now, I want you to think about the disciples' life. Don't run off somewhere in some goofy eschatology right now. Pay attention to what the Bible is saying. Now, what's going to happen in the lives of the disciples? Jesus is going to the cross. What's going to happen to the disciples? What are they going to do? They're going to scatter. They're going to be a little freaked out. They're going to be afraid. But then Jesus is going to rise again three days later. He's going to gather them up. He's going to tell them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come. Jesus is going to ascend. He's going to send them. He's going to say, go. Go turn this world upside right or upside down, depending on how you want to look at it. Go and do these things. And then the disciples lived happily ever after. Well, that's not how it went. So we have 11 disciples, they choose one more guy. So we get back up to the number of 12 in the beginning of the book of Acts. And of those 12 guys, how many live out a natural life? One. What happens to the rest of them? They get killed for their faith. Jesus is saying, the days are going to come when you're going to long for it. You're going to say, man, <clears throat> come Lord Jesus. But Jesus is saying, you're not going to see it. Hebrews chapter 11 says, All these died in faith, looking forward to the promise, but not seeing the promise yet. Trusting in the the promises coming, trusting in the reality of the promise, just because it's not here doesn't mean it's not real. Trusting in the reality of the promise, but recognizing and realizing that they were not going to see it. They lived by faith they died in faith because they heard jesus yeah jesus said days be like this things will get hard things will be difficult but i got a job to do i'll desire to see one of the sons one of the days of the son of man man that kingdom when the wolf lays down i want to see it and i'm gonna but I don't know that I'm going to see it and, and it's going to save me from another Monday. Or whatever illness I might find myself in. Or whatever struggle may go on. You're not going to find anywhere in Scripture where Jesus said, Come and follow me. I promise you a rose a rose garden. Right? Everything will be easy. He never said that. It's preachers would say that. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Why do we think if we come to follow him, it's going to be different for us? And we're we're not going to have difficulty. We are. There's going to be hard things. And Jesus is not always going to deliver us out of them, but he may deliver us through them. He He never says you're going to do it alone. Nobody does it alone. Jesus, Jesus did, went ahead of us and suffered first, didn't he? And then he said afterwards, I'm with you no matter where you go, no matter what happens in your life, I'm, I'll be with you in the suffering. I'll be with you all the way through whatever happens in your life. <clears throat> and I'm just talking about disciples here, right? Are the disciples going to suffer? The disciples are going to go through hard things in their life. They're going to go through hard things in their life. But then he says, not only, look again, two negatives, two negatives and a positive. The days of, you'll long to see the days of the Son of Man, you won't see it. And then other people say, look here, look there, there he is, there he is, there he is. False Christ, right? False things. We see it in our world all the time. There are all, there are constantly false messiahs rising up and and saying, "I, I think I'm him. And then they take their people away to some foreign land. And then they give them all poison Kool-Aid. Right? And everybody dies. Or everybody gets shot. Or everybody gets caught on fire. Jesus said they're going to say, look there, look there, look there, look. That's not how you're going to see the Son of Man. That's not how the Son of Man comes. What will it be like when the Son of Man is revealed? Jesus is describing it to his disciples. (laughs) You're going to long to see it. But you may not. And they're going to say, look there, look there, look there. But don't follow them because that's not me. Here's, here's what he says. This is how you will know it. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So picture, you're out at night, pitch black, no stars. We get one of them cool little lightning storms. Can you see it? Do you sit out there in your yard and go, gosh, I wonder if there's lightning out here. Man, you ever seen that lightning just light up the whole sky? What is he saying? You're not going to miss it. What is he saying? That the kingdom of God doesn't come. It's not some secret coming. It's not some, some something that happens here. It's, it's, you're not going to miss it. So don't listen. They say, look there, look there, look here. He's there. He's there. He's over there. No, when the kingdom of God comes, bam, it's here. And you'll know, you will absolutely, without any question, know, just like watching a lightning at night. Just like watching a lightning. You'll see it, you cannot miss it, it will light up the whole sky. That's how the kingdom comes, but look at the next verse. You say, Jackie, I don't know if he's really talking about suffering. Did you look at verse 25? Verse 25, he says, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He's telling the disciples, this how it's going to be. <laughs> We're going in. There's going to be a time of suffering. All the disciples are going to suffer, right? The next generation after the disciples, they're going to suffer. Then there's going to be peace. And you do a little study in church history and decide whether that was good or bad. But we've had relative—not everywhere around the world—but relative peace since then. <clears throat> he says it's necessary; he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. In Luke twenty-four, twenty-six, we're going to get this talk again, right? We're we're going to get the one that matches up with the Olivet discourse, where where Jesus does talk a little bit more about eschatology, the eschaton, the the. End of days. In Luke 24, 26, he says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? It's on the road to Emmaus. And he's talking to two disciples. They don't recognize him. And he says to them, wasn't it necessary? Didn't the scriptures talk about this? Didn't Isaiah say this is how it was going to be? For sure Isaiah said this is how it was going to be. Isaiah 53. Isaiah definitely talked about the suffering servant, the one who would come upon whom all the iniquity of the world will be laid. It's necessary that He would go through this suffering, that He would enter into this time. You're looking for the coming of the Son of Man, and Jesus wants him to understand that when you look for the coming of the Son of Man, that day, that day, the day of the Lord, that day is a great day of celebration for all those who are in faith. But that's a bad day for everybody else. And Jesus wants us to understand that. He wants us to recognize that this life, we're going to go through difficulty, we're going to go through suffering. The kingdom of God starts in my life, and it can spread out from there. But there will be a real kingdom of God when Jesus Christ rules and reigns as king, perfect peace, perfect unity. The whole world will bow the knee. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Scriptures declare it. That is coming. That is coming. But it doesn't mean we won't go through hard things between now and then. Doesn't doesn't mean that life's not going to be difficult, that we're not going to have any suffering. Because the kingdom of God deals with suffering. Yeah? Because Jesus suffered so that we could be lifted from our fallenness, cleansed from our corruption, healed of our rebellion. And that's what he was doing in his whole ministry as he was walking through Jerusalem. In Luke nine twenty two, <coughs> excuse me, scripture says the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day he will rise again. So Jesus told him he never left that part out. He told him, look, this is what's happening. So he, he's, he's saying two things here. He's saying a couple of things. He's going to suffer. And he's going to be rejected by this generation. So how does he describe this generation? This generation that was so sure they already knew everything. They were so if you could have stood before the group of Pharisees and say, Do you guys understand how this all works? They would have said, Yeah, we got it. But Jesus would say, They err. Why? Because they teach the traditions of men. As the commandments of God. The Bible says that that we are to be men and women who want to be considered a workman of God. A workman that studies the scriptures daily. That look to the scriptures as though they have the answers that we're looking for. And these men and women who do this are rightly dividing or interpreting the Word of God. Not the traditions of men, but the Word of God. The data that's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder even between the soul and the intent can get into the littlest places and help us understand. What is the point of this generation? They're stubborn, they're stiff-necked, they're rebellious, they resist God's purposes, and they resist God's people. Now I just want you to picture for a moment, when Jesus would come out and He'd be teaching to the people, and the sick are coming to Him, because they recognize He can heal my fallenness, He can heal my corruption he can heal my rebelliousness and so they begin coming to Jesus right to 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 seek that healing and then as he's teaching and as he's talking he'd say something that kind of flew in the face of what these guys over here believed. so these guys over here would begin not to listen but to interrupt now wait a minute what about wait a minute what about wait a minute what about because they're pretty sure they got it all put together You got it all figured out. You have all the answers. I'm only leery of people who have all the answers. I'm a student of God's word, and I will never not be a student of God's word. I study the word every single day. I read it. I take it apart, I put it up on a lift, I crawl around underneath it, I want to understand, I want to know Him, I want to know the God who is, not the one I think should be in my head, I want to know the real one, who He is, what He says, what His Word talks about, I want to know Him that way, and Jesus says, the Word of God teaches us in Hosea that that's what God wants from us, He wants our faithfulness to Him, and He wants us to know Him. So so this is our pursuit. This is what being a Christian is. This is what it looks like. We want Him. We understand that in, in, in our worldly relationships, don't we? Do you want your friend to know you? For sure. You, you want your spouse to know you? Yeah. Do you want them to be faithful? Yeah, we get it, right? We can understand it. That's what it looks like. This is how we get to know Him. We don't sit in the dark somewhere, put the circles in our fingers, sit in a Indian style. I can't even do that anymore. I'm old. My hip don't work. (coughs) Uh, It's so pathetic this morning, I can't put a sock on my left foot. Right now, I've seen at least three of you guys because you're fat. That's not why. I can tell. I look in your eyes. I can see what you're thinking. (laughs) My hip is coming out. It's not from sitting in the dark in some special position and meditating on the nothing. That's not how you get to know God. How do you get to know God? He gave us His Word. How I get to know Him is I get into His Word. I get into it. I want to know Him. I want to understand Him. Crazy thing. People, people get crazy ideas about, about... How do you know that's the, the Bible's God's Word? But I look at it. I read it. I come to the Word of God and I recognize... Way back... In 57 A.D., just a few years after Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and ascended into heaven. The men were already passing it around. While the apostles were writing it, you know, they called it scripture. They said, this is the word of God. Why? Because when God delivered the first covenant, the old covenant, the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you guys tracking? When he delivered the old covenant, he gave them scripture to go with it. And then Jesus stood before his disciples and he said, Hey, I'm bringing in the new covenant. What were they expecting? What were they anticipating? They were expecting scripture to come with it, to explain what the new covenant's all about. When did that stop? When the last apostle died. How do I know when it opens. When it closes. It, it opened when Jesus said ready go. And it closed when the last one died. Last apostle to write was John. Gospel of John. Revelations. Absolute last book. 95 AD. Then it was done. And it's been functioning From the moment it left the pin as scripture in the lives of the church. In the lives of the people. And we still have it today. We still know. It's funny because there's a guy out there. (coughs) Bart Ehrman. Who used to be a believer, not a believer anymore. He teaches New Testament. Something New Testament in North Carolina. I don't remember. But it's always good in in a school to have someone who doesn't believe in the Bible teaches stuff out of the Bible. But anyways, he's the New Testament scholar. His name's Barterman. He's the the guy, right? Everybody goes to, he writes all these books about how Jesus never said what he said, and the Bible can't be trusted, and all this stuff. He writes all of that, but if anytime you want to listen to it, I'll play it for you. He's in a radio interview, and the radio guy's going, yeah, this is great, because everybody likes it when you say you don't have to listen to the Bible, right? This is great. The Bible's a mess, and you can't believe any of that stuff, and is joking around with him. And so the guy says, so so, what do you think the Bible really would have said? You know what Bart said? Well, pretty much what it says now. And the radio guy's like, what do you mean? He says, well, yeah, it's, 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 it's all there. What do you mean it's all there? Yeah, it's all there. He don't believe in any of it. But he will tell you everything that the apostles written, we have. Everything they wrote, we have. You may not want the kingdom of God. You may not want, and he won't force you to have it. He's not going to force you to have the kingdom of God. Well, Jackie, you said every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Yeah, but you know what? They'll, they'll bow and confess. They'll say, Jesus is Lord. And then Jesus will say, you guys don't want me, right? Yeah, we don't want you. Okay. What do you call that place? We call it hell. We don't know what else to call it. Jesus called it three different names. Tartarus. Gehenna. Hades. What is it described as? A place where God isn't. The place where God isn't is hell. Anybody can go there. It wasn't created for men. It was created back when the angels were built, right? But if man wants to go, man can go. God doesn't force anybody. You can choose that. You can choose this. You can have that. You can have this. But here's what he wants us to understand about the day when the Son of Man comes. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. Verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. When the Son of Man comes back, when that kingdom we've been talking about is here. Jesus rules and reigns in perfect peace. What's it going to be like? This is what he says. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. What's he saying Don't don't miss it. He's not talking about the evil of the days of Noah. That's not what he said. What did he say? As it was in the days of Noah, people are going to be living life like normal. Everybody's just going to be doing their own thing, doing whatever they want to do, living life how they want to live life. And then, he says, Noah got in the ark. And what happened? Judgment. That's the part nobody wants to talk about. When Jesus comes back, there's judgment. What happened when Noah got in the ark, flood came, and who made it? Nobody, Noah, right? Only those who entered into the ark survived. Well, look at the next example. Maybe, that, maybe I'm wrong. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. What's he describing? <clears throat> life as normal, right? Just, just doing life. They're just doing life, and then what happened? Then Lot left Sodom. And what followed? Judgment. What? Next thing he says: fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and did what? Destroyed them all. So it will be on the day the Son of Man returns. But one of the things I love about Jesus is his consistency. Because as he's, he's talking about this kingdom, and as he's talking about the eschaton, and, and uh, um, by the way, I'll be having coffee Monday morning at 7 o'clock for all the questions. Don't be shy. Feel free to come. But <clears throat> he's talking about this eschaton. He's talking about the, the end of days. He's talking about how the kingdom is here now, but it's, we're not yet there. But he wants them to understand, when that day comes, time's up. When that day comes... The lost, those who don't know him, those who are not in the ark, those who are not by an angel taken out of Sodom, they die. The Bible says God's not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness. But he is long-suffering toward us. Desiring that, listen, no one perish. God said three times in the book of Ezekiel, I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked. They're just gone. I have glory when a sinner comes to me and falls on his knees before me and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that's where I, that's the glory as I touch a life and change it. That's the kingdom of God. That's the glory of God. Yeah, we. I want to see Jesus, but that, then it's game up. It's over. <coughs> it's over on that day. They're eating and drinking when sulfur comes upon them, and so it will be when the Son of Man is revealed. Matthew twenty four thirty nine says, <coughs> Excuse me, they were unaware until the flood came, and it swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. There's payday someday. There's payday someday. But the heart of God is to be long-suffering. Why are we still here? Because God don't want nobody to perish. But he wants all to come to repentance. So he waits. That's a compassionate God. That's a compassionate God, a just God. He's gonna come. He's gonna come. Look at the, look at the, the description. Look at the description, 31. On that day, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? What's he saying? What's he saying? Don't be so tied to your stuff that when it comes time to go, you won't go. This was a common idiom in the day. This is a common idiom at the time of Christ. When an army was coming against you and, and all of a sudden the trumpets all and here they come, here they come, and they're coming down into the city. Don't go get your stuff. Just leave. Yeah? If your house is on fire, don't go running in to get your pictures; Let them burn. It's just stuff. And Jesus says this. For whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. What does he mean? What is he saying? How, how am I preserving my life? That when the alarm is being sounded, when the alarm is being sounded saying, hey, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. I preserve my life by saying, no, i got to go get my stuff. i got to take care of my stuff. Lord, I'll follow you right after I bury my father. Oh, I'll I'll follow you after I do this, or a little bit later, but right now is not a good time for me. They seek to preserve their life, but what happens? While they're trying to take care of all that, judgment comes, and it's gone. It's gone. But those who lose their life, they just say, you know what, I I don't need all that stuff. I just need to hear, there's the alarm, it's time to go. There's the call of Jesus, time for me to follow Him. There's the call of God saying, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Come. No, i got to do this. This is more important. I don't like that. I don't like those people who are all funny looking. They they do weird things. I don't want to have nothing to do with them. All day long, He reaches out His hands to disobedient and contrary people. Don't run back for your stuff. Don't turn around. What was the deal with Lot's wife? She wants old life. I still like this. I Sodom. I like Sodom. I like the stuff they do. I like the life I got there. Yeah, I'm going to stay there. Those who seek to preserve their life will lose it. (coughs) Those who lose their life, let that stuff go. Jesus is worth it. He is worth it. I tell you, in that night, there'll be two in one bed, one taken, the other left. Two women grinding together, one taken, the other left. What's he talking about? People are going to be divided. They're going to be split. People who hang out together, who grind together, who sleep together in the same bed, one's going to be lost to judgment, the other's going to be saved. One's going to be lost to judgment, the other's, that's the point, right? Isn't that the point? One's taken, the other's left. One's either taken in judgment or, or taken in salvation. It doesn't make any difference. The story is the same no matter how you interpret it. One is getting judgment and the other is not. We agree, right? One's taken, the other's left. One's taken, the other's left. There's, there's this division that takes place. We have to make a decision. We have to listen to the call. And so they ask him a question, Well, where, Lord, where? And then Jesus gives the strangest answer. Isn't that answer not strange to you guys? Wherever the corpse is, that's where the vultures are. Brr, 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 brr. What? Wherever the corpse is, that's where the vultures are. The eschaton talks about it the end of days, that final judgment. Ezekiel wrote about it in Ezekiel 39. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to the birds of every sort, to all the beasts of the field, assemble, come, gather all around to a sacrificial feast that I'm preparing, a great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel. And you will eat flesh and drink blood. You'll eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, rams, lambs, he goats, bulls, the fat beasts of Bashan. You will eat fat till you are full. You'll drink blood till you're drunk at the sacrificial feast that I'm preparing for you. You will be filled at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men, all kinds of warriors, declares the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations will see my judgment that I have executed and my hand that I have laid on them. And the house of Israel shall know I am the Lord." Nobody's going to ask any questions that day. All the guys who say it's bunk, they're not, nobody's got no question that day. Well, Jackie, how do you know? Well, go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, verse 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God. To eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of, of all men, free and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who was seated on the horse <clears throat> and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast. And those who worshipped his image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on a horse, and all the birds gorged on their flesh. That's the other side of the return of Jesus Christ. He puts down that rebellion the fallenness, the corruption. We can either have it healed or it'll get put down. The Lord waits. He looks to the Pharisees who are saying, oh man, when's this kingdom coming? Bring this kingdom. And Jesus is like, well, it's right here right now. You can right now bow the knee and receive Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God will move into your heart, be right inside of you and change you from the inside out. Or you can continue in your rebellion until the day that the birds come to eat the carcasses. Scripture talks about them both. Jesus is saying, man, now's the time. Today's the day. We bow the knee. Let the word of God be the authority in your life. Let the word of God teach you, show you, direct you. Bow the knee to what God has for you now. Because we're not at the supper of the great God. We're not at the eschaton. We're not at the end. We're not at the final day. We're still here. We still have a job to do. Amen? We still have opportunity to share and to tell. I still have a chance, even now, today, to bow my knee. Say, Lord, you come in and set your kingdom in my heart. Make me like you so I can go do what you need me to do. Your hands and feet. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. (coughs) Father God, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord Jesus, that we have to come before you, to look to you, God, to acknowledge, Lord, that you are king. You are our creator. You made it all. You set it all in, in for its purpose. You put it all together. God, I want to I wanna be obedient to what your word is directing us to. I want to be obedient to follow you wherever you lead, to go where you send me. I want to say, yes, Lord. I want to say that, that I, I understand your kingdom can be in me right now, and I know there's a future day absolute future day when your feet will touch ground on this earth and you will be king. But that involves a lot of bloodshed. And it's not that day yet, so I still have time. I still have time to share with my family. I still have time to talk to my neighbor. I still have time to surrender my life. I still have time. Now's the day. Today's the time. Or I can keep saying, like the Pharisees, yeah, it's not for me. Lord, I thank you that you are good and holy and just. I thank that you love us. You don't force us. We have freedom. God, I I pray, Lord Jesus, your spirit would move in this place. And if there's any here today, that you, by your spirit, have granted repentance. That your spirit's moving and working in their heart and life. And you're shouting to them, Lord. You're saying, I'm talking to you. And I pray as we close out in worship, And as the prayer counselors come forward, they come up and they say, I'm the one. The Lord's been talking to me that I need to bow my knee in submission to you. And the people who are up here are going to be here to help you. The people up here are to pray with you every day. Because that's the, the one thing that the Lord has given us to do, to pray, to call on his name. Lord, I pray that you would move by your spirit in this place, that you would call us unto you that you Lord God would be glorified and magnified as we put our faith and our trust in you Lord we, we just pray you would move that you would be glorified here magnified your name lifted up as we look to you God bring salvation to this place to our nation to this world and we give you praise for it in Jesus name Amen.